message is entitled, How to Patiently Endure Suffering and Affliction for the Sake of His Name. Hear the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, we pray that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Comfort us, encourage us, strengthen us, and transform us for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would work through your word today to draw sinners to the Savior. Pray that you would work through your word today to comfort your people. Lord, you know what's going on in each one of our lives and there may be some here today who are despairing of life itself. So God, do the work that only you can do and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There was a different sound in his voice when I talked to him on Friday. A dear friend and partner in the gospel 
He and his wife have been serving in cross-cultural missions for years. They've learned the language. They love the people group among whom they're working. They've been raising their children. Children have even been participating in school there, learning the language and among the children of the people group. And 16 months ago, they had to come home. She was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was aggressive. They came home to fight this cancer, being on medical leave and near family and friends by their ascending church. And to hear them talk about the way that the Lord was comforting them in this affliction was inspiring, it was moving, it was comforting, it was encouraging. And over the past 16 months, I've been able to keep in touch and, and pray with him and encourage him along the way. And but Friday I heard a desperation in his voice that I've never heard. It's really bad. They don't know whether she's gonna make it. The doctors are saying, you've got some hard decisions to make in the days ahead. And he's wondering, Lord, we've given our lives to get the gospel to the nations. Lord, why? We love this people group so much. We just want to go back. We want to labor among them. We want to tell them about Jesus. So the questions of why and, and just surrendering to the sovereign wisdom of God that our God ordains all things and he's good all the time and we don't know why many times but we trust him when we were going through the study in second Thessalonians back before Christmas in chapter one, we, we looked at suffering and affliction and persecution, and we said that one of the most important things that we need to learn as followers of Christ is how to rightly view our sufferings, our afflictions, our persecutions, how to rightly view them. And we saw in that first section in 2 Thessalonians about God's purpose of preparation, uh, the purpose of our sufferings to prepare us for the second coming of Christ. And John Piper, when he was speaking to pastors, he said this, he said, you get to teach them how to understand their sufferings. Because if they get mad at God while they're being afflicted, they are totally out of touch with what they need. And he goes on to say, our affliction is God's infirmary to heal us from the disease of worldliness and to fit us to marvel at Christ when he comes. 
to heal us, to fit us, to prepare us for the coming of Christ. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he was a man that suffered much. He suffered incredible despair many times, depression. There was a tragedy that happened in the congregation one morning where somebody yelled fire. There was no fire. And people ran and people were trampled during that, trying to escape the building. There was no fire and yet people died that morning. And he carried that burden on his shoulders for years and years and suffered greatly depression and despair. And he writes this, he said, one Sabbath morning I preached from the text, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And though I did not say so, yet I preached my own experience. He'd felt that God had forsaken him. I heard my own chains clank while I tried to preach to my fellow prisoners in the dark. But I could not tell why I was brought into such an awful horror of darkness for which I condemned myself. On the following Monday evening, a man came to see me who bore all the marks of despair upon his countenance. His hair seemed to stand upright and his eyes were ready to start from their sockets. He said to me after a little parlaying, I never before in my life heard any man speak who seemed to know my heart. Mine is a terrible case, but on Sunday morning you painted me to the life and preached as if you had been inside my soul. And Spurgeon goes on to say, by God's grace, I saved that man from suicide and led him into gospel light and liberty. But I know I could not have done it if I had not myself been confined in the dungeon in which he lay. I tell you the story, brethren, because you sometimes may not understand your own experience and the perfect and the perfect people may condemn you for having it but what know they of God's servants you and i have to suffer much for the sake of the people of our charge in verses 3 to 11 Paul really introduces the book of 2 Corinthians with the theme of suffering, affliction, and comfort, and he testifies of God's comfort in his life and how God in his sovereign wisdom has given him, has allotted to him the affliction that he's been experiencing and he's able to praise God for it and find comfort from the Lord. And it's that comfort that, that Paul has found that he's now able to comfort the Corinthians with. And he sees even the purpose of God in 
allowing him to suffer and giving him, granting him the comfort so that he can comfort believers and even today that we could learn how to patiently endure suffering and affliction for the sake of the name of Jesus. And what I want us to see in this passage is it broken down in three sections and really giving us a model for how to endure, patiently endure suffering and affliction through praise and proclamation and prayer. So Paul starts off, number one, urging us to praise God for who he is and how he cares for his people according to his wise and holy purposes, verses three through seven. Praise God for who he is and how he cares for his people according to his wise and holy purposes. Verses three to seven, we're gonna see for who he is in verse three, and then verses four to seven, how he cares for his people. So let's look at for who he is. Praise God for who he is. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Paul is praising God, and this is a very Jewish way of praising God. It's found throughout the scriptures. In fact, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 32, the way that, that David said to Abigail, he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And he said before he died, he said, and the king also said, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 48, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, mine own eyes, seeing it. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 27 to 28, Ezra says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. And you see this pattern over and over in the scriptures. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who did this. See it in the Psalms, the way that the psalmist ends each book with this refrain, with this benediction. Blessed be the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. But notice he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes it clear that this God of Israel, God of our fathers, is none other than the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Only a Christian could say this kind of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice, the Father of mercies. Is that the way you see God? He's the Father of mercies. When you're suffering and going through affliction and you're tempted to shake your fist at God, do you view him as the Father of mercies? The word for mercies is compassion, pity, mercy, 
care and concern the God that cares for his people. The God that is so deeply concerned for his people. In Nehemiah chapter 9, Ezra prays the most wonderful prayer and he recounts the history of the people of Israel and over and over he recounts how God has been merciful to the people in their rebellion. And in chapter 9 verse 19 he says, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. On further, he says, according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. And he said, yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, mercy after mercy after mercy. And then he says in verse 31, nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Paul is praising God for who he is, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Do you view God that way in your suffering? In Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And Jesus says, Luke chapter 6, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Comfort, consolation, encouragement. He's the God of all encouragement. He comforts us. He, He brings encouragement to our souls. David says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the announcement of restoration, Tim was talking about Isaiah, towards the end from chapter 40 all the way to the end, verse 66, the announcement of salvation and restoration is all about God's comfort. Isaiah 40, verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Isaiah 51, verse 3, for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of a song. When the comfort comes, when encouragement comes, is the restoration of joy and gladness. Joy comes in the morning. And you may be in a dark night of the soul right now. I pray that today the Lord is going to comfort you, which 
with the encouragement that comes through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will experience the restoration of joy. At the end of Isaiah in chapter 66, this beautiful new covenant promise For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. And we know that this peace only comes through Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. There is no other way. That's how the Lord comforts his people is through Christ. Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Remember, Simeon and Anna were waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for the comfort of Israel, the Savior, the Messiah who would bring that comfort. God is the God of all comfort. There is no other comfort outside of him. And I know that we, in our culture, we look to a lot of things for comfort. People are trying to find comfort in many things, but there is only comfort coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to look to him alone for comfort. The ESV study Bible says comfort is the overall disposition that comes from resting in God's sovereign and loving rule as manifested in Christ's lordship. Paul is praising God for who he is. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And then he praises God for how he cares for his people according to his wise and holy purposes. Look at verse 4a. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, who has compassion on us, who has mercy on us in all of our affliction, who cares for us, who encourages us in our affliction. He encourages us through his word. Primarily, you want to be comforted today? Seek the comfort of God through the Word of God. You'll find the promises of God. You'll find the focus on Jesus Christ, the Savior. He encourages us through His Word and He encourages us through His people. Praying with a fellow believer about the affliction that you're going through God brings the comfort to you through a fellow believer. And by his Holy Spirit, God ministers comfort to his people. Paul tells us a little bit later in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 to 7, he says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, by our co-worker in the gospel. 
And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoice still more. Many times the comfort of God comes through the testimony, through the encouragement, through the words of grace of fellow believers. Are we comforting one another with the comfort of God that we have received? See, that's God's design. It's... That's the way he cares for his people, not only by giving comfort to us personally by the Holy Spirit, he gives us comfort through the body of Christ. And Paul says, that's his purpose. Look at the second part of verse four. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that, here's a purpose statement, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So in other words, when you're afflicted and you receive the comfort of God, know that it's not just for you. You're not the end. You're to be a conduit of God's comfort to his people. That's his Design. That's one of the ways that he cares for his people. But then notice in verses five to seven how he explains this and the unshakable hope of his purpose. Verses five to seven, he says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This abundance, overflowing of suffering and overflowing of comfort. See, God's, God's comfort always outdoes our affliction. It overflows even past the depth of our affliction. He says, if we're afflicted, it's it's for your comfort and salvation. Paul is encouraging the believers that what he's going through, God has a purpose. And it's not just that he would experience God's comfort, but it's that they would experience God's comfort, even through what he's suffering and how he's learning of the mercies of God and experiencing God's care. It's not just an end in the apostle Paul, it flows through him to them. And he says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul is just praising God for his afflictions and how God works through those afflictions to care for him and care for his people. It's not only praise, it's also proclamation. That's the way that we patiently endure suffering and affliction through proclamation. Look at this, verses eight to 10. He says this, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So here's point number two. Proclaim God's sovereign goodness and how he works to loose us from all forms of self-reliance. Proclaim what God is doing, how you're experiencing his mercies, how you're learning to rely upon him more and more. Give testimony of God's sovereign goodness. And that's what he does in verses 8 to 10. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. 
For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul thought it was the end. They weren't going to make it. There was no way out. And we don't know what this was. Theologians are not in agreement what this was. They don't think it was in Ephesus at the riot. That, that wasn't extreme enough. Something was so extreme that happened to the apostle Paul in Asia that he thought he was dead and it was over. There was no way out. They thought they had received the sentence of death. But notice what he says. The second part of verse nine, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God had a purpose in that. It was to loose us of our, our self-reliance, every form of self-reliance. And you think the apostle Paul relied upon himself? Impossible. I mean, the greatest Christian that ever lived, the one who walked so closely with Jesus, who learned contentment in every situation that he was in. Remember, he learned contentment. He learned how to be brought low and how to abound. He learned that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. And he's sharing with the Corinthians what, he, what he's learned. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God is so gracious and kind to us that he will use every situation and the worst kinds of afflictions that we're going through to comfort us, that we would experience his mercy, and then to loose us of all forms of self-reliance, that we would just rely completely on him. Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Have you learned that yet? Are you learning it right now? A.W. Tozer said, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. says he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again such encouragement to the Corinthians he's modeling for them how to endure through praise and testimony of God's sovereign goodness proclamation of God's sovereign goodness I received a text at the end of the year I mean I'm just right up near the the New Year's hour, and it was from a brother who had gone through an incredible situation this past year. He and his wife had a loss that they could have never imagined. And he wrote me a text just to tell me what God had done. He said, I was thinking about you towards the end of the year, and I just wanted you to know what God in, has done in our lives through that devastating loss last year. And he just testified of God's sovereign goodness. He testified of how God had comforted them in that affliction, how God had, had made himself known and they had experienced mercies like they had never known. 
I thought, wow, what a blessing. What a text to receive at the end of the year to just hear of how God is working in people's lives for his honor, for his glory, and for the good and care of his people. So Paul models it through praise and proclamation, but finally through prayer. Look at verse 11. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So that's number three. Petition God on behalf of his suffering people to the end that his blessings are granted and he receives the glory. Ask God, petition God on behalf of his suffering people to the end for the purpose that God's blessings are granted and he receives all the glory. Notice what he says. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer that or so that many will give thanks on our behalf. So there's a purpose, there's an end so that many will give thanks on our behalf. Pray so that many will give thanks for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So the prayers are the means that God releases his blessing. We see that all the way through the New Testament. Paul believes that prayer is the appointed means for God to release blessing and care and deliverance for his people. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In Philemon, verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you through the prayers. Paul is inviting them into a partnership of prayer for the purpose of blessings being granted God's people and that God receives all the glory, that, that many will give thanks to God on our behalf, literally that many people's faces will be turned upward towards our God. So you're suffering right now, you're in deep affliction right now, you're in the dark night of the soul, what do you do? How do you endure? You praise God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, praise him. He's worthy of all of our praise and testify of his goodness, his sovereign goodness. Tell people about what he's doing. Tell people about how he's comforting you because that will be one of the ways that he comforts other people around you. Use your experience as a blessing to extend the mercies of God to other people. And then thirdly, pray. Petition God on behalf of his suffering people. Pray, invite other people to pray with you 
so that God would receive the glory and that God would release his blessings to his suffering people. That's how Paul models how to endure suffering and we can do the same. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would comfort your people today, that you would encourage your people. That you would lift drooping hands and strengthen weak knees. Lord, we pray that you would allow many people here today who are suffering, allow them to experience new mercies today. Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is sufficient for us in every circumstance. God, would you release your blessings to your people even today as we pray and that you would comfort and encourage and in doing so that they would testify of your goodness your sovereign care, and that many people would be comforted and many people would give you praise. God, would you work in this way for the good of your people, but ultimately, Lord, to the end of your glory so that Jesus Christ would be exalted and praised as he is due. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.